Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive, a show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Mr. Robot. Finale, titled Shut Down R, and with that, our long national nightmare of unreadable episode titles in Mr. Robot has come to an end. Oh, thank God. Oh, Jesus, you have no idea. You have no idea how happy this makes me. Just to my bones. It, it, it's just... Oh, my God. Like, as much as I love Mr. Robot, as much as this is my favorite show of all time, and as much as I've adored every second of diving through it again for this podcast, The bane of my existence have been these goddamn episode titles trying to read them out out loud at the beginning of every single discussion and then just being confronted with the horrifying nature that they're just like big blocks of text code and they're just letters that are switched to numbers and underscores and dashes and decimal points and things that aren't words and like there was a lot of that and I just hated all of it I hated having to read those out loud now I can get all the joy of Mr. Robot without any of the unreadable garbage titles oh I'm so happy I am so so freaking happy anyway God damn, this finale. It is... I'm just gonna say it. This might be my favorite episode of Mr. Robot. I adore everything about this episode. It is a, it is such a perfect end to this season. Uh, such a perfect way to close out this segment of the story. Every single second of this episode, every single frame is masterful. To no end. I just love 
everything about it so freaking much. It is dense and perfect and just just a masterpiece. It's an incredible, incredible episode. So, this episode starts off right where the last one left off. Uh, we're still fully on the train of reversing 5-9 and taking down the Dark Army. However, Dark Army is caught on to what Elliot and Darlene are doing. And now they are rounding them up. Literally the opening scene of this episode is the Dark Army raiding Elliot's apartment. And Elliot like hiding in Shayla's apartment with Flipper. And just narrowly avoiding getting captured. Santiago goes into the interview room. Takes Darlene in zip ties. And just hauls her into his car. Dom grows a bit suspicious of him and confronts him in the parking garage. And Santiago tries to come up with a BS excuse, but he fails miserably. And just knocks Dom unconscious and just takes her with him as well. Dom is not happy about this. uh, With the realization that Santiago was an FBI mole, was a Dark Army mole in the FBI. And it's just like, you piece of shit. Like, this was all you. Like, we've been knocking ourselves into a brick wall all this time because of you. It was all you. And Santiago's like, hey, you, you are in a place where you can afford to be naive. You're just in the back seat. That's your entire life. Back seat. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they have on me. Like, I have to do this stuff. Meanwhile, Elliot's freaking out because Darlene's missing. The Dark Army probably have her. He puts two and two together and is able to figure that out. And in the midst of this freakout, Mr. Robot comes back. Elliot and Mr. Robot team up to find Darlene and take down the Dark Army. There's this great moment on the Ferris wheel. Calling all the way back to that first episode. And it's this like standoff. It's this reconciliation between the two. And it's so, so brilliantly handled. But of course, it doesn't take long into their investigation for Irving to show up. And to take Elliot. And from this point on, we get. The barn. The freaking barn. Holy crap. This barn. So much brilliance happens within this barn. This barn is now a point of infamy in Mr. Robot lore. It's incredible. You have Elliot, Darlene, and Dom... All in a barn together. Mr. Robot being all imaginary and sulking in the background. And just... Just being all pesky and telling Elliot what to do. We gotta escape, we gotta escape. And Elliot's like, uh, no. Uh, they're not gonna kill us. We're waiting for someone. Leon's there holding a gun on them. Irving's calling the shots. There's a camera where very clearly White Rose is watching them. And Dom 
gets pulled away by Irving and Santiago. In what becomes the greatest scene in the history of Mr. Robot, quite possibly among the greatest moments in television history. Dom gets hauled up the hill to this axe where it is heavily implied that she is about to get murdered. Santiago, not wanting her blood on his hands, starts begging for her life. We can flip her. We can flip her. She's valuable to you. She can be useful. Uh, she could be one of the youngest asex in history. Like, she's a rising star. And Dom's saying, like, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can say to get me to betray everything I stand for. And Santiago's like, shut up! Shut up, Dom! Like, hey, we can still fix this. This is still salvageable. We can flip Dom. And then Santiago picks up the axe and swings. We get this nice moment beforehand. I totally skipped over this. Where Irving's like, hey, relax. Look at the sky. Enjoy the fresh air. And you, it, it totally sounds like this moment where Irving is like setting Dom up to have like a peaceful death. And then Irving takes the axe, swings, not into Dom, but into Santiago. Santiago, he's screwed up one too many times. He's become a liability. It's his fault that we're even in this situation in the first place with Dom. And so Irving makes a judgment call in that moment. You know what? Santiago has become a liability. He's more trouble than he's worth. And by his own admission, we have this rising star who can very easily take his place. So after that first swing... Irving turns to Dom and is like, you're taking his place. And when Dom gives the whole, there's nothing you can do, like I will never betray, I'm not a traitor. Irving starts listing family members. And says, I want you to look at him and imagine it's this person. Picks up the axe, swings it into Santiago. Now I want you to imagine it's this person going to get his copy of the newspaper. Now I want you to imagine that it's your mom, Trudy. Now I want you to imagine it's your uncle as he's watching Wheel of Fortune and Bobby Cannavale showing up the scenery so perfectly. Like he's every bit, he's equal parts brutal and just nonchalant calm. Like he's walking an impossible fine line. I'm just going to say it. This dude should have gotten an Emmy. Like whoever won best supporting actor or best guest actor or whatever. During this television season. It was the wrong choice. It should have gone to Bobby Cannavale. In fact, I'm looking this up right now. What would have been the... 
This came out in late 2017. So this would have been the 2018 Primetime Emmy Awards. 2018 Primetime Emmy Awards. That's the 7th, programming from June 1st, 2017 until May 31st, 2018. So yeah, that works. Who won Best Supporting in a Drama? Who was nominated? Best Supporting Actor in a Drama? It went to Peter Link... It it went to Peter Dinklage. And the other nominees were Nikolaj Coster-Waldo... Joseph Fiennes, David Harbour, Mandy Patinkin, and Matt Smith. Uh, go away, all you people. Look, Dinklage, I love you. You're the best. But Jesus Christ, the scene. <laughs> Bobby Cannavale should have won an Emmy for this scene. And hell, Grace Gummer should have as well. Because you can see, like, just the pain and anguish on her face. It's like she's slowly realizing, like, the impossible situation she's found herself in. Who won Best Supporting Actress that year? I just closed out the Wikipedia article. I am going to open it again. Who got Best Supporting in a drama? Please load. Thank you. Best Supporting Actress in a drama. That went to... Tandy Newton for Westworld. Also nominated were Alexis Bledel, Millie Bobby Brown, Ann Dowd, Lena Headey, Vanessa Kirby, Yvonne Strahovski. Uh, move over! Grace Gummer should have won for this scene. <laughs> Grace Gummer should have been nominated and also won. Like, it is such an incredible scene. Like, and she's just freaking out, like, as she realizes this psycho or someone like him could get to my family if I don't do exactly what he says and like he lays it all out like you're gonna go back to the FBI you're gonna act like nothing happened and you're gonna give us intel and you're gonna do what we tell you you got it and then I love how Bobby Cannavale delivers this next line Dom, I'm gonna need verbal confirmation that you understand the details of this arrangement. Or something along those lines. And Dom says, yes. And so she goes back to the barn. Darlene seeing Dom very much not dead, but covered in blood, is like, what happened? And I love the response from Leon. Looks like she just got her initiation. Dom is Dark Army now. And then... White Rose's... Stooge comes in. And is fully prepared... To kill... Both Elliot... And... Dom. So, yeah. Elliot admits stage three is bullshit. And so, all the honesty, like all cards on the table, this dude's ready to murder Elliot. And his sister. And then it's all gonna be done. But then Elliot, in 
playing his last cards, starts saying, Hey, I own everything. I own all of the Dark Army stuff. Every compromise system, I own. All of the Dark Army's history, I own. And if something happens to me or to her, all of that leaks. Everyone knows the entire history of the Dark Army. And this dude arrogantly says, we can survive a leak, that's nothing. And then in one last ploy, Elliot says, Wait! I can get your project shipped to the Congo! I I can do a hack that can get the project shipped. I can do what you want. But this dude's not having it. He wants Elliot gone. Remember, he has poo-pooed all of the Elliot Alderson train deals throughout the entire thing. Throughout the entire season. And so... Elliot's got a gun to his head. Darlene's got a gun to her head from Leon. And then just before the trigger gets pulled... Bang! Dark Army Grunt goes down. Bang! Another Dark Army Grunt goes down. Leon is pointing a gun at White Rose's stooge. He knows what's about to happen. He read the tea leaves. Dark Army stooge gets a call from White Rose. Now, there's a long poetic way this conversation goes, but the gist of it is, hey, you don't see Elliot's value, your jealousy's clouded your judgment, you're done. And then the dude hangs up, and shoots himself. And so now... Elliot's deal with White Rose is in full effect. He gets on a computer, does a little hack to get the project shipped to the Congo. We're all good on that front. Leon leaves. Everything's fine-ish. While all this is happening, by the way, we have this phenomenal storyline with Angela. Where she has met with Price. She thought she was getting taken by White Rose. She's not. She's talking now to Philip Price. And is like, I want to leave, I want to leave. She is still fully on the White Rose Kool-Aid somehow. And Price is trying to tell her, Listen, White Rose's plan is a fantasy. It's a giant delusion caused by a complete denial of reality. The only reason White Rose recruited you is to get to me. And she and he starts to tell Angela a story about how he knew her mother. About how they worked at E-Corp together. About how they dated for quite some time. 
about how he was cruel to her. And how he thought he was a big man. By being a dick to her. And then how she got pregnant. And was adamant that her child would not be raised by a monster. And how she then met Angela's father. Who agreed to raise the child as his own. In other words. No, Angela. I am your father. Price is Angela's real dad. And suddenly, this is one of those moments, this is one of those moments, man, where everything clicks and everything we saw before suddenly falls into place, suddenly makes more sense. Suddenly. Suddenly. Everything fits. The way Price treated Angela, the way Price took an interest in her, uh, the special treatment that Angela has gotten ever since she joined E-Corp. Hell, even going as far back as to why Price took up the all-safe contract. All of it was because he was trying to get close to Angela. In fact, actually, I remember in first, at first glance, on first viewing, when you're watching seasons two and three, you're just like, well, Price is clearly trying to get in her pants. Wow, what a douchebag, misogynistic, predatory CEO. And then you look back on it after this episode and you're like, no, that's not what that was at all. That was a father trying to connect with his daughter. Oh my god, Sam Esmail. Sam Esmail is a genius. He is so good at, like, just putting in these little nuggets where if you were looking, you would know exactly this is what's happening, but you don't think to look because it's just so insane. Like, you don't even think about it. Like, he hides this nug- these nuggets of foreshadowing so well. Like, and this is one of them. Like, this is such a big one. And then Price, having told her... By the way, he was not going to tell her at all until he realized what she was doing to Angela. So, Price continues to press, like, listen... White Rose played you. White Rose sold you a fantasy. She told you that the cyber bombings were for some great purpose. In reality, they were just a dig at me. It is that petty. It is that small. 
and the unraveling of Angela in this moment. Like, this is what a cultist realizing the cult they have joined is, in fact, that, just a baseless cult, and just their faith unraveling, like, this is what that looks like. And she tells Price, like, I want retribution against White Rose. And his response is like, that's impossible. Except that you got conned. Find a way to live with what you did. Back to the barn, post- Dark Army deal. Uh, Dom gives Elliot access to Romero's data and then tells Darlene exactly how she feels about her and uh, these are not kind words. She calls her a terrible person. She says she deserves to live in agony. She blames her for ruining her entire life. And then just leaves. Then Elliot's looking at the Romero data. Aw, these key logs. And he finds out, wait a minute. It wasn't Romero that did this. He was just spying on us. He didn't create the encryption keys. So who did? Cut to Elliot and Darlene on the subway. Darlene asks Elliot, Hey, so remember that time on the pier when you brought up uh, Kevin McAllister, the snowman we built? Why'd you do that? Then Elliot's like, oh, that's the day that dad pushed me out of the window. Wait. What are you talking about? That didn't happen. And Darlene tells the real story. They were in his room. Looking for a camera. And then for some reason, Elliot started freaking out. Told Darlene to get in the closet. Their dad came in. Elliot just started swinging a bat. Threatening to jump. Going nuts. And then he did exactly that. He jumped out the window. He was never pushed. It was not a retribution for telling everyone he had leukemia. It was just a... What was it? Why did he jump? What snapped in his head at that moment? Then Elliot has a talk with Mr. Robot on the train platform. 
and he confronts him, and it's like, hey, Romero didn't generate the keys. You did. And Mr. Robot goes on this diatribe of like, hey, like, we, we, we can't, like, we can't do this. We can't reverse it. Like, it'll have all been for nothing. If, I, I think, I still think if we hold out a little bit longer, like, who would this, who would this help? And then Elliot in that moment says, like, I'm doing this for me. I can't live with what I did anymore. And you're wrong. They're not going to get away with it. Because something good came out of all this 5-9 insanity. They showed themselves. The top 1% of the top 1%. The ones who are in control. The ones who run the world without permission. And I'm going to take them down. Mr. Robot tells Elliot whatever happens next. They want to still talk. They have, again, this nice little reconciliation. Mr. Robot reveals to Elliot that he basically created those keys because it's what Elliot would have done. As Elliot posited earlier in this episode, there's a little bit of Mr. Robot in Elliot and a little bit of Elliot in Mr. Robot. And so Mr. Robot tells Elliot how to access the keys. Embedded them in a picture. Burned the picture to the CD. In the apartment. Take the CD. Get the metadata from it. Send that in. Boom. E-Corp now has the tools to recover their database. And that's it. That's the end of the season. Except not quite. Remember, every single season ends with a post-credit scene. As is always the case, we start with a wide shot of a car. Slow-moving car. Which, I did not pick up on this for some reason when I was watching this show initially. It's not something you notice when you're watching all three seasons like a a year apart from each other, but all three post-credit scenes in this show, they all start with a wide shot of a slow-moving car. It's kind of cool. It's kind of this nice point of consistency. We see Darlene walking down the street with um, a lady of the night, let's say, uh, and they actually are in like a pretty interesting economic debate. Honestly, I feel like I, I I feel like someone should send this post credit scene to Andrew Heaton. Like Andrew Heaton would love this because it's like just it's Darlene and a lady of the night doing like a, a big economics talk. Like that's his that's his jam. Like it's just economicsy for him to be a junkie on it, and just weird enough for him to be, like, exactly his thing. Like, someone should send... Don't give him the context around it. Just send Andrew Heaton this one post credit scene where Darlene talks to a prostitute about economics. <laughs> but this is interrupted upon arrival at Elliot's building. 
by the car that almost hit them earlier in this post credit scene coming back around. And a group of thugs walking out. They have a little altercation with Darlene. And as it pans back, we see that at the head of that gang is Fernando Vera. He's back. And that's where we leave things. God, this season. Holy crap, this season is so freaking phenomenal. Excellent penultimate season. Uh, sets up the stage. Like, it closes the book on the 5-9 saga. And sets up the stage for our final season. So, so freaking well. There's so much I want to say about this last season. And I can't say any of it. I, I cannot divulge this information. Suffice it to say, the final season of Mr. Robot, it's something. It's definitely something. And I cannot wait to talk about it. It is... It is incredible. It's one of the greatest final seasons in television history. Maybe the greatest final season in television history. It's... It's gonna be a brilliant end to a brilliant show. I'm so happy we're in the home stretch now. Oh my god! See, I, I, I want to keep saying words, but I know if I keep saying words, I'm going to spoil something for people who haven't seen this show before. Uh, I'm cutting myself off before I accidentally do a dumb. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archive, so you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast or app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll put those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark. Pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 1. Talk to you then.